Well, we are in Matthew chapter 3, and it's only been a week since last Sunday when we were in Matthew chapter 2, but in the text here, it has been decades, because in the time between Jesus' birth and now to his baptism has been a long period of time. We only have two places in Scripture where it tells us anything about his childhood outside of his birth. In Mark chapter 6, it says that Jesus works with Joseph, his stepfather, as a carpenter. So he is a blue-collar guy. He's been working hard. And then in Luke chapter 2, there's a story where he was lost by his parents but wasn't really lost, and he's found in the temple, and he's asking a lot of questions, and the teachers are being taught. That's what we see. Other than that, the Scripture is completely silent. And it's very important for us to understand that because you will hear all kinds of crazy stuff out there that he went to India and got taught by gurus, that he went to Egypt and he learned about ancient Egyptian magic and magical nonsense. That's all baloney. We don't know anything about his childhood other than what he tells us and reveals in scriptures. And I say it, and I say it a lot, where the scripture is silent, we need to be silent. But even there, we learn something about the Lord and we learn something about ourselves, and that is, it's private. You know, that's between him and his mom, that's between him and Joseph, and our families are to be private, especially in a time when we are posting every vacation and everybody's involved in everybody else's business. Our homes are sacred, and we need to keep it that way. And I find that even there we have a, a message. We know that Jesus knew his message because when he is there in Luke chapter 2, he says he has to be about his father's business. So. There's a, there's a lot of stuff going on, and that is the hardest part for me as I go through the gospel is all the stuff I have to cut out to just to stay on track and to teach and to share from these scriptures. So let's go before the Lord, and then we're going to jump in the first six verses and work our way backwards. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your grace, the things that you teach us about life, about ourselves, and most importantly, revealing who you are to us. I pray that you would guide and direct us here in the text, that we would be more and more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read verses 1 through 6 together of Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild hunting. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him, and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Well, there's a lot going on here. It, we talked about a gap of time with Jesus in his life, these decades of him growing up, but there's been an even larger gap of time. It's been 400 years in the nation of Israel since Malachi the prophet's prophecies were recorded. Now, I won't say there wasn't any prophets in that time, other than that there's no recorded prophets. And so from Malachi to John the Baptist, who Jesus would say is the greatest prophet who ever lived, is a long period of silence. And when we talk about time and we talk about gaps of time, one of the biggest criticisms against Christianity or against the faith is that we are a relatively, quote-unquote, new religion, that we just showed up. You know, for example, they'll talk about Buddha from 800 
B.C. And say, well, you know, that's, that's much older. Or, you know, in the 1960s, the Beatles were pushing uh, the Eastern mysticism, the Indian gurus that were millennia old. But we see that that's just not the case. You know, yes, Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, but this prophecy from Isaiah here in chapter 40 is older than Buddha. In fact, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, 8 to 10,000 years ago, depending on your interpretation of Scripture, Jesus was foretold and prophesied when Adam and Eve were formed, that he was going to bruise the heel, that he was going to stomp on that snake, that he was going to redeem humanity. Ancient, original, old. And as I go through these texts and even these uh, few verses here, it's so hard for me just to not get stuck on, on every little detail. I'll give you one detail, for example. John the Baptist goes out and teaches in the desert. Why? Why in the desert? Why is that important? You know, the temple's down the street. The priests are there with their robes. All of the sacrifices are there. The scribes, the Pharisees, the law of God, all that stuff. And that's important, right? Isn't there, when you're here on Wednesday nights, chapter after chapter of painstaking detail as God articulated how every one of those things was supposed to be built? But to hear the prophet, you got to go out to the desert. Well, when we look at Scripture, we see that the Lord always meets us in the desert, in the desert place. The Ten Commandments, Moses in the burning bush, the people in the 40 years of judgment in the desert, the prophet Isaiah out in the desert, hiding in the brook, over and over again. Why is that? Well, the desert represents a dry and dead place where we are thirsty. And remember last week we talked about having this thirst for God, this longing for God. When we are dry and we are thirsty, God comes to us. He meets us. And now we have this fulfillment of prophecy where John the Baptist is coming like Isaiah, preparing the way, saying that this ancient Messiah, which has been foretold of for millennia and generations, he's here. And he's not going to meet us in the temple with the robes and the sacrifices. We're going to meet him here in the desert. Now, there is a super important word for all of us when it comes to studying the Bible. The word is called context, context. You see, when we approach Scripture, we are bringing all of our baggage, all of our religious baggage, our, our upbringing, everything comes with us. For example, when we hear, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, I won't speak for you, I'll speak for myself. I hear that word repent, I hear, you know, be sorry and straighten up. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand, I hear, be sorry and straighten up because God's coming to give you a whooping. That's what, do you hear that sometimes in, in the faith? Is that what we bring when we have a relationship with God? Because that's not what's being said here. See, this word repent, it, it's not a feelings-based word. It means to change your mind, to prepare, to go a different direction. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's speaking of God coming. What is the prophecy they used here? They used Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. It's in verse 3 here where it says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. And that's where we come back to that word, context. You see, we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 40 right now, and I want to read verses 1 through 11. This is just verse 3. What is the context that our hearts are to be prepared 
for the Messiah, the King's coming. In Isaiah 40, verse 1, it says, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Well, that's different than what I was thinking, right? That's the context. He's going to continue. Let's read verses 2 through 11. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. For who? Our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is like grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass wither, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Now verses 9 through 11. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up, on, get up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those with who those who are with the young you see all that baggage i brought all that religious baggage like oh yeah straighten up because the almighty smiter is going to come smite you that's not what he means that's not what he's talking about when he says repent for the kingdom of hand the kingdom of god is at hand he's literally saying god is coming and he's going to comfort us he's going to lead us he's going to shepherd us we need to prepare ourselves and when he says this repenting, it's more like the injured crying out for the medic. The medic is coming. He's coming. He's going to help us. He's going to lead us. The king, he's coming to us in the desert, in the dry place. He is the way. You know, John's message isn't you're a sinner and you need to straighten up before he gets here. His message is you are broken and the Messiah, the king, is coming to heal you to save you, to counsel you, to encourage you. What did he say there in Isaiah chapter 40? The shepherd gathering his little lambs. Uh, now, I see too many people, they have this backwards. What do I mean by that? It, you see, it says here to make way, prepare the path. And in the Orient, the ancient Middle East, there are no roads. It's not until the Roman Empire comes that they start paving roads and putting stones out. I mean, some of those roads exist today. That's before low bid contracts, I tell you that much. Before that, it's just dirt paths. You know, the ones that the people would take all the time, that's what you would do. So when a king was coming or someone important or royal, they would come, they'd fill in the potholes, they'd clear out the trees, they'd make the way straight. They want to make a path for him to get there as quickly as possible. You know, clean up the living room before the parents come. Did that recently. 
make the way straight. And that's what we do in our hearts. You know, we prepare the way to receive, to receive from Him. And, and John is just a voice making the preparations, just telling people that the King is coming. The problem is that we're going to see this in this chapter. Religion gets in the way. Our pride gets in the way. Even here, what does he say here? At the end of uh, our verses here, in verses 5 and 6, it says, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. You know, too many churches and religions are focused more on the people. They're trying to prepare the path for the people. How many seats can we have? How popular can we get? How much influence can we show? And it's backwards. The people come because they're thirsty for God's word, for truth. They're, they're thirsty for healing. They're thirsty for life and love and relationship with the true and living God. And we get it backwards. This is going to be important here as we read verses 7 through 10. Let's read these verses. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And we have to be careful because we sometimes apply these verses to the previous verses when John the Baptist is speaking to the crowds, he's not speaking to the crowds anymore. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to these Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, who are they? Well, I'm going to warn you. I'm going to grossly oversimplify this. But if you don't remember anything about the Pharisees and Sadducees, just think of this. This is like the Republicans and Democrats together on the same team. This does not happen. In fact, the only time they're united about anything is when they're going after the Lord. That's going to be important. See, the Pharisees, they are self-righteous. They believe they are earning this. They believe in all the law, all the prophets, all their traditions. They are reading every single legal code, trying to find loopholes around those codes. And it's very important to them to keep this tradition and keep Israel on that track. Their mentality is, we are earning this. We deserve this. Now, the Sadducees, they have a completely different mindset. They don't care about any of the traditions, any of the rabbis. In fact, they only believe in the first five books of the Bible. And they say that they're blessed because they are Jewish. They're born into it. As far as they're concerned, they don't earn it. They just are born with it. And that's where their righteousness comes from. Remember, John is telling the people in general, prepare your hearts to receive the Messiah. When he gets to these two groups of people, the church people, the religious ones, the ones that are supposed to be speaking for God and representing God and teaching God and helping people. He says, brood of vipers, you lowest of the low serpents of death. That's how he speaks to the religious people. In fact, let's unpack this a little bit. John is out there in the simplest of clothes. He's out there with the camel's hair. He's out there eating grasshoppers. I mean, this isn't a guy you really want to follow in terms of appearances. And yet the people are thirsty for a relationship with God. They're not finding it in the temple. They're not finding it with the sacrifices. They're not finding it in the legal code. They're not finding it in their synagogues. They have to go out to the desert. 
And the Pharisees and the Sadducees are ticked off. They're not coming to our religious gatherings anymore. And then John the Baptist just lays into them. Now, is it okay for John the Baptist to have this angry reaction? Because some people, you know, they believe in the Barney Jesus, I call him, where he just loves everyone all the time. He's never angry. He's never upset. He just, you know, I love you. You love me. I don't care. You know, just everything's okay. That's not real love. That's not correction. That's like a medic coming to someone who's bleeding to death. Oh, you, you just got, that's how they made you. Enjoy it. <laughs> Live your best life. It's like, no, I'm going to correct some bones right now, and I'm going to save your life. No, you see, God hates evil. You know, people don't know that God hates some things. For example, in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13, it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. I don't know about you, but you can go out there and you can ask regular people out there and ask them what they think about the church. I don't know, but they hate gays. That's what they'll say. They, they hate pregnant teenagers. I know that much. Oh, they hate everybody. That's what the church is. And the church, the religious people are often the thing that keeps people from having a genuine relationship with God, like these Pharisees and Sadducees. And God hates it because of that pride, that self-righteous, I've earned this, or I'm born with this, or I'm better than you. No, the Lord is interested in the hearts the minds, and the souls of every human being, every individual. And the king, the Messiah, for millennia has been prophesied that he's coming to heal people, to change people, to comfort people who can't do it for themselves. He's here for the hurting. He's here for the lost. He's here for the cast-offs and the hopeless. And we're going to talk about that even more in a minute. But I want us to understand what it says in Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and he saves such as have a contrite spirit. He's near to the broken and the lost. And John, he's just out there, away from the synagogue, away from the temple, away from all those things. Now, are those things bad? Absolutely not. Us Bible scholars, us Bible scholars, I just said I was a Bible scholar. That's a joke. <laughs> Bible students is more accurate. Us Bible students know as we're going through the Old Testament and we're, we're reading about the, uh, the altar and we're reading about the table of showbread and even the high priest's robes that every single thing points to, you guessed it, Jesus, the way of our salvation. It's all just a shadow of who he is and our relationship with him. And so John the Baptist is the antithesis, the opposite of all those things because it's coming back to the heart of the matter. Where the people are thirsty, God is there. He is the fountain, the water of life. Now, where does he say these things? All right, well, let's talk about it. Verses 11 through 12. John the Baptist says, as he continues, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. 
we'll work backwards a little bit. Who is he talking about judging? He's judging the religious people, not the hurting and the lost, not the broken, not those that are dead in their trespasses and sins. No, those that are supposed to represent him and are representing him wrong, he's going to get rid of them. And he's going to bring in the wheat. That's you and me. You see, when John says, I'm baptizing people into repentance, we bring our religious baggage once again. Well, you know, even the non-believer knows about baptism. You go out there, you get sprinkled, you get dunked, and you're supposed to be a holy roller or something. But in its context, this is completely foreign to them. You see, in Israel, the only time that there would be baptism at that time is when a Gentile became a, a believer, became a Jew. Well, you must be thinking, well, that must be something they do all the time. Absolutely not. These are the people who the Pharisees said, if you bump up against a Gentile in the road, you go home, burn your clothes, take a bath because they're filthy. How many baptisms do you think people had from Gentiles converting into that? Very, very few. On top of that, is John baptizing Gentiles? No. He's baptizing Jews. He's saying, in our sins, the way we are without Christ, we are so broken, we need to repent, even those that are called in the family. This is completely foreign to them. The other thing that's interesting is when John's baptizing people, the baptism of Gentiles into Judaism, they do it themselves. They dunk themselves in the water. When John baptizes people into repentance, they're assisted to show that we can't do it on our own. We need God's intervention. We need His help. Then we have the believer's baptism that we are baptized into, that Jesus' baptism. We are, die and come back to life with Him out of the grave. Also, God is the one that brings you in and out. You can't do it on your own. Remember, He's the Messiah. He comes to comfort and to save and to heal us. But that's not the emphasis of what Paul, of Paul, I just did that in first service too, of what John the Baptist is talking about. What's the emphasis here? He says, that's what I do. But he who is coming, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. Why does he say that? At that time, all the rabbis, the big teachers, had apprentices. And they would make them do all kinds of menial tasks. Well, one of the things, they had to pass a rule is that it couldn't be so demeaning that you carried their shoe or tied their shoes for them. That was too demeaning. So John is alluding to that when he says, I'm not even worthy to do that demeaning thing. That's so low. That's how, that's how important he is that's coming. And then what does he say about this person? What does he say? He, it's in verse 11. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. What is that? The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. We have to think about who God really is for a moment. Because remember, we bring too much baggage. We bring too many misconceptions. You know, God is omnipotent, omnipresent, all-powerful in all places at all times. Because sometimes we think like God disappears on us sometimes. Or, or we think that He's not around, or He's not seeing things, or He's not a part of something. No, nothing can be farther from the truth. Now, I'm going to throw out a fancy word. It's just I want you guys to learn it too. It's called 
pneumatology. Pneumatology means the study of the Holy Spirit. Pneuma is a Greek word. It means wind, spirit, breath. Ology comes from logos, truth, uh, study, the study of pneuma, the spirit. It's not that complicated. Just people want to sound smart. The Hebrew word for the spirit is ruah, same thing. It just means wind, spirit, or breath. Every person who's alive, every person who's alive, that comes from God. If your heart is beating, how did that start? Oh, well, Michael, if you just trace the science back, you'll see that there's an, there's an electrical impulse that moves our muscles. Well, let's go even farther back then. Let's look at the laws of thermodynamics. Matter cannot be created or destroyed. Where did it come from? The creator. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. What was the first action? The creator. The Bible tells us that the world is cursed. It's falling apart. The laws of thermodynamics tell us that everything goes from order to disorder. All of creation is showing us that we are connected to the creator. And at the moment of salvation, when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, He fills you with the Holy Spirit. It's not that God's not present in you, but He seals you and He makes you His own. Well, I didn't feel anything. Did, did you feel anything when you were born? You don't know the family you're born into. You don't know the gifts that you got when you're born. The same thing is true when you're born into the family of faith. We, we know very little, and yet we're brought by the Spirit of God. Through Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, he does this. The Bible tells us that through Jesus, all things that are created exist, and everything that exists consists because of him, that he was in the beginning with God. Remember Isaiah chapter 40 earlier said, Behold, he, God, your God, he's coming. Make way straight, get ready, he's coming to help you. In Romans chapter 5, Paul the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, would write, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Before Jesus Christ, I was pure destruction, pride, anger. If there was a way to destroy something, I was going to figure it out. As I became a believer through faith in Christ, He reconciled me to God. He reconciled me to creation, to life. And now all that energy and power that he created in me and works in me, he works for good, for construction. Unless I get involved and I still destroy things, I can still mess up something mighty good, believe me. But he has reconciled me. He's made me new. He works in me through faith alone in him. He's not some guru. He, he's not to be compared to Muhammad or to Buddha or to Confucius or any Zen master. Any, he is far above that, not even in the same wavelength. And now he's going to show us that. Because as, as John the Baptist is having this discussion with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. As people are getting baptized, Jewish people getting baptized into repentance, yes, I want to prepare my heart. I want to be ready to receive God in the flesh. I want to know God. I want to have a relationship. I'm in the desert. I'm thirsty. I'm dry. I'm hurting. I need to feel the power of God. I need to be connected to creation. 
he shows up. He's there. In verses 13 through 17, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all the righteousness. For for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And so when we read the book of Isaiah and we see it in its context and we see John and we understand the prophecies and we're looking at Scripture and we're looking at time and God and who He is and then we see Jesus just walking. He's just a guy from Galilee who's a carpenter. This is how the King of Kings ministry starts. Hey, I want to be baptized like everybody else. And then you get all these crazy theologians saying, well, he needed to be baptized like this or like that, or this is what it means, or this is what that means. Or we could just listen to Jesus, who in verse 15 tells us exactly why he was baptized. What does he say there? Permit it to be so now, for this it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus lives a life, a perfect life that we can follow. We said earlier that the church is one of the biggest reasons why people do not have a relationship with God. How are we going to change that? We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to be in the book of Matthew, and we're going to see how He speaks to people. We're going to see how He interacts with people. We're going to see how to communicate with people that are believers and non-believers. And then we're going to be followers of Him. That's why we're called, guess what, Christians, Christ-like, Christ followers like Him. And he's going to show us. See, Jesus identifies with us, but he is without sin. He's perfect. And in this moment of submission to God, the heavens open and the Spirit descends like a dove. What does that look like? I have no earthly idea. What does God the Father sound like? No idea. What was it like to be there? Weird. But I can only imagine how powerful it is as Jesus ascends from the water, just completely saturated, <laughs> soaked, and then they can sense and see the power of the Holy Spirit descending on them. As God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Incredible. Here is the king of the world. Here is God in the flesh. Here is my son. I'm giving them to you. What do we do with them? We criticize. We compromise. We do all kinds of things. And we're going to see how the world reacts to him. We know from the Gospel of John that men love darkness rather than light, but that he is the light. And as we grow in our relationship with him, he will reconcile us to himself. And he'll move through his spirit in us, and he will connect us to the Lord, to God. Let's pray. Father, we want to be more like you. Lord, we want to understand you more. We want to be Christians. We want to have a deep, true relationship with you. We don't want to be religious. We don't want to be churchians. We want to be Christians. We pray that you would heal us and move in us. 
have your way in us that we could go into all the world and preach this good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And if you need prayer coming up, we'd love to pray with you, talk with you. God bless you and have a wonderful week.